When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi there, Duke fans. It is Duke Carolina Rivalry Time, episode number 589 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I am Jason Evans. I'm here for your listening enjoyment. I am joined by two fine folks. The first one, you could probably guess, is Donald Wine. Donald, how you doing today? You ready for the big game this weekend? I've been ready for this game. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about it. It's, it's, it's that time of year. I, I think everyone's, everyone's level of excitement has ratcheted up a bit for this one. And the other person joining us right now, he often comes on when we preview the Duke Carolina game. He is our go-to guy when it comes time for the NBA draft. Duke legend, ESPN announcer, Jay Billis. Jay, how you doing, man? By the way, are you are you better known now? You're an ESPN guy more now than a Duke guy, right? I mean, in terms of like people on the street. Yeah, that's probably been true even when I was a Duke guy. I was probably better known <laughs> for something else. Uh, I was, By the way, I was in school with you. I was a freshman when you were a senior. Yeah, I remember. That was a that was a hell you remember. Yeah. Long time ago. Well, everybody <laughs> knew you. When you committed, it was you and Danny Ferry committing that was a huge deal. <laughs> and Quinn and Quinn Snyder. Yeah. Quinn, not so big. Not, not so big. I love it. All right. So, Jay, here's how we're going to break this up because we haven't had a chance to talk to you thus far this season. We want to talk to you about both Duke and UNC. I'm going to let Donald go first. He's going to ask all the Carolina questions. And then I got a few questions about Duke that I want to have for you, but I'm going to toss it over to my matey over there. And he will lead the conversation for the time being. Yeah. So, Jay, I think we want to start with UNC just in general. Of course, they're number three in the country for now. I know we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about uh, the Georgia Tech game the other night. But for those who have not seen 
UNC play this year? What's the one thing that they do that Duke fans should worry about the most on Saturday? Well, they do a much better job of defending than they have in in several years past. Uh, I think there have been certain years where North Carolina uh, tried to outscore you, meaning you know they tried to out offense you, and they've always been really good. Usually playing two big guys together, but always have been really good in transition, really good uh, on the offensive glass. They're a good offensive rebounding team this year. Maybe not as powerful as some of the years past where, you know, they, there was a, a clear matchup difference between Duke and North Carolina in that regard. Uh, this year, you know, they have a traditional kind of stretch for in, in Harrison Ingram. And, uh, and although he's not shooting tremendously high percentages, he's really effective and he's leading the ACC and ACC play and rebounding at almost 12 per game. Uh, and then they've got a, a, just a killer guard they're playing two point guards together, but RJ Davis is having a national player of the year caliber season. If, if Zach Eady weren't in the picture, uh, RJ Davis would be, would be right there uh, for, for competing for that award. I think Edie's already got it on his, his shelf. Uh, he's so far ahead of the pack and in, in that sort of that realm, but Carolina's legit. Um, they're not knockout punch good, but neither's Duke. Like, I don't know how many teams out there are. I think UConn, could reach that level and maybe maybe Purdue, but but UConn's the one team that I think can really reach that level of being a knockout punch team. But um, the two teams match up really well together. Duke shoots it better, but Carolina's a little better getting to the getting to the glass. They're a better rebounding team, and I think they do a little bit better job getting the free throw line. Uh, you know, they 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 make about as many free throws as their opponent attempts. I think they're a few under, you know, being more than their opponent even attempts. Um, so they're 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 good. They're not. It's not like we've seen before. They're they're different good. But I think it's amazing that you know Caleb Love and R.J. Davis kind of split up, and Love went to Arizona, and he's having an All America season, and R.J. Davis having an All America season. Uh, it's really kind of interesting that way. I, I we'll talk about R.J. Davis in a second. I, I want to stay with the defense because, as you mentioned, they've been stellar. Only six teams this season have scored more than 70 on them, and I think they've hold, held four teams under 60. So what are the, some of the defensive traits that you've seen that make them such a brick wall for opponents? Well, I think they've got a bunch of really versatile defenders. So at times, so I think they call it their 14 defense. It's not complicated. It's just they switch one through four. They usually don't switch much with Armando Baycott. They do it really late in the shot clock where he'll switch off. You know, Maybe if it's uh, eight seconds or under, he may switch onto a guard. Um, but, but they can switch if they want to, um, they're just grittier and tougher. They're tougher on the ball. Uh, they're much better with their help side position. Um, they're not a great shot blocking team, but they do, uh, make it difficult for you around the rim. You've got to shoot over them now. Um, and I, I think before it's not like they were bad defensively. They weren't, but they didn't lead the way with their defense. Their offense was always the, the thing you worried about. And uh, and now you got to worry about scoring on them. And uh, uh, they they limit their opponent's transition. Part of that's because they, they do run good offense. They don't turn it over much. And uh, and and neither does Duke. But they they do a really good job. Uh, they're not taking bad shots where the other team gets runouts. They're not turning it over where the other team gets runouts. Um, they're they're very effective that way. So it, it's uh, it's a much more efficient Carolina team. I don't think it's a great shooting team. Um, you know, Cormac Ryan can shoot it, 
but he's not hitting at a high rate. You know, he's down in the 30s uh, for his overall percentage, and and he's in the you know low 30s from three. And he's a better shooter than that. But if he gets hot and if you let him shoot it from the catch spot, he's going to make a lot of those. But they're they're a very unselfish passing team. There's not as much dribbling this year as there's been in past years. The ball moves. It's just when they go with certain lineups, when Elliot Cadeau and Seth Trimble are playing together, those two guys are non-shooters. And uh, and so I think Duke and other opponents can can you know help off those guys and recover late as long as you take away their drives and keep them off the glass and keep them out of transition. They're they're not they're they're less effective. Uh, R.J. Davis can shoot it from anywhere. Well, let's let's talk about R.J. Davis. It's, it, he's no you know no surprise to anybody here in Duke Blue. We've heard his name for many years, but unfortunately for us, he's been playing at an All American level. What's been the biggest improvement from him that you've seen where he's elevated his game to this next level? You know, I don't know that he's elevated his game all that much, but he's the primary option now. Um, last year, the year before. He was he was with Caleb Love, so that's a lot of shots that aren't going to him that were going to Love, and it's not like there was a, a, a selfishness issue. You just had two point guards playing together, both of whom could shoot it, and both of whom could really score. When R.J. Davis, the year they went to the uh, championship game a couple years ago, the turning point, in my view, the turning point of their season was when R.J. Davis took over the point guard duties. He was the primary handler, and it let Caleb Love work off the ball. Um, I thought I thought that was a really elevating factor for them. You know, it's not, I, I don't want to make it sound like he hadn't gotten better. I mean, he's certainly gotten better from from last year to this year, but he doesn't play substantially differently. It's just he's the he's the option. He's the go to guy, and he does it without forcing anything, which is really impressive. Um, you know, he's got a he's got a quick release on his shot. He gets into it really quickly. He can score with the ball in his hands and create, and he can score coming off screens and uh, and in transition when they pass ahead. Uh, and he's unafraid to pull the trigger on any shot, yet, yet he's really efficient. Like, he's shooting an unbelievable percentage from three. You know, he can still get to the rim. Uh, he gets fouled a lot. Uh, he's just a great player. And uh, uh, he's one of the one of the better guards they've had there, and they've had some great guards. Another guy that Duke is very familiar with is Armando Baycat. This is, I think, is his forty-third year uh, at UNC. Yeah. To over two thousand points, a thousand rebounds in his career. I, I believe he's only the third Tar Heel to do that. But of course, he's good on the glass. What's the best route for Duke to keep him in check and keep him off of the rebounding glass and off the scoreboard? I think the main thing with Armando Baycat is one: you have to run with him because he does run the floor. There are times he'll take off a little bit early when he can't. He's not going to get the rebound. He just goes. Uh, but he's a he's an excellent rim runner. And but, you know, I think when a, a guy that's got some size, the defender with size stays between Baycott and the basket and forces him to finish over, um, he's far less effective when he gets an angle to the basket. He's going to score, get fouled or both. Uh, and you, you just can't allow that. Uh, and I do think that that Duke or any other opponent needs to put him in as many ball screens as they can pull him out on the floor, make him guard ball screen actions. Um, and I think you'll see a lot of that on Saturday. But Baycott's just a, a, a ultra effective player because he doesn't do things that he's that aren't his strength. Like he's not going to step out and take threes. 
Um, he, he stays down in the post for the most part. He sets screens and rolls really hard, got great hands, but he's just relentless in going to the glass. And he's a really smart rebounder. He plays angles really well. You don't grab that many rebounds without being smart. Um, it, he's not doing it. He's not a, a superior athlete. Like you don't play at that level without being a really good athlete, but he's a really good athlete, but he's not like one of these superior athletes that's going to jump over you or dunk over you or things like that. Uh, and that's why I think taking away angles from him is so important and lot, not allowing him to get deep post position because you push him a, a, a step or two off the lane and he's got to take a jump hook or some shot like that. He doesn't make him at as high a rate as when he gets an angle, he's going to score on those. Jay, hey, just really quick, I want to jump in and ask a question about Baycott. You talked about Duke needs to take him to the perimeter and force him to play, you know, defense in, in the screen and roll and things like that. Do you think uh, with Kyle Filipowski, Duke does a fair bit of pick and pop? Do you think we'll see – I mean, is this a game where you think Filipowski's taken a lot of three-pointers? Well, I mean, he could, but it depends on whether Baycott's guarding him or guarding a guy like Mark Mitchell because you guys have seen it. A lot of teams have just laid off Mitchell and played in the middle of the lane. And Mark's doing a much better job of, one, taking up that space and driving it and attacking it. And the other thing he's doing is, is going to set screens. Because if you're going to play off of him, then you're playing two-on-one in a screening situation. Um, so that puts that sort of action puts his defender at a decision. Um you know, Arizona did it first and everybody's copied it. Like they, they all watch tape. I mean, Arkansas did the same thing to him. And I think honestly, and I don't know if, if John Shire or Mark would, uh, would say this, but it's the way I feel it was at least at the beginning was that kind of messed with his head a little bit. Um, you know, teams are playing so far off. You feel like, well, what do I do? Do I just shoot it? You know, and it, it, it messes with you. And I think it, it kind of affected his confidence a little bit. I think it changed around Georgia Tech is is my memory of it, um, and he's he's played really well. Like he's such a good player and so effective because he can guard multiple spots and he's a good rebounder and all that. Uh, you know, scoring isn't uh, his value. His value goes way beyond scoring. When he does those other things first, then it, I think his scoring is enhanced, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but I don't I, I don't know exactly what the matchups are going to be. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Harrison Ingram taking Filipowski and then uh, and then having Baycott, uh, you know, clogging up the lane and guarding Mitchell. You know, getting back to UNC's team, of course, this is one of the most experienced teams in Division One. We've seen most of these names before, but one guy, as you mentioned earlier, that we haven't seen uh, yet and we will for the first time is Elliot Cadeau. You know, very her- heralded athlete out of high school known for getting to the paint to score, but he, but he rarely takes or makes threes. Where are some of the spots on the floor that he likes to attack, and how does that affect how UNC's offense operates? He attacks first in transition, and he's very good at passing ahead. So he's not one of these ball-dominant point guards. Um, you know, Carolina doesn't do that. They're not dribbling the ball into the into the wood every possession. The ball moves better with this team than it did with last year's team, in my in my judgment. Uh, but Cadeau is going to going to be off the drive and mostly right hand drives. Um, and he's going to try to get into the lane and draw help and then play out of it or try to get to the rim. Uh, he's not a shooter. Uh, he can make a little floater, all those things. But, you know, a big scoring game for him is going to be 10. 
Like he's not he's not going to go out in most games unless you know he's getting some runouts or things like that and get you fifteen or twenty. That's not the way he plays. Uh, but he's a good defender, as is Seth Trimble. I think Seth Trimble's a really good defender, um, uh, but another non-shooter. And so they they have some lineups out there where you know you can really help off those guys. You know you don't want to leave them alone and dare them to shoot, but but because you know sometimes you do that. It's it's not it's not as effective as you would think, you know, I, I would rather put pressure on, on those players than, uh, than let them operate without that pressure. Um, but you can recover late to them uh, as, you know, as long as you take away the drive. The last question I have on the UNC side of things before we switch to Jason and Duke is we just talked about UNC, a lot of things that they do well, some of the things that they may uh, stretch on, but what's the one thing that UNC cannot do if they want to win this game? Uh, well, they can't rely on jump shots. Number one, um, they've got to be able to get the ball into the paint, and uh, and I, I don't think they can uh, they can take any sort of stance where they're not impacting the ball defensively. Um, there are there have been sometimes during the season, not very many, but sometimes where they're playing more containment defense instead of getting out and really, really impacting the ball. And I think when they impact the ball and pressure it, because they've got guys that can do that, they can be really disruptive defensively. Um, you know, their help side is really good. Uh, they've got really good versatility. Um, and, and, you know, but if their rebounding stays consistent and they can, you know, continue to pound the glass, the two guys you worry about the most are Baycott and Ingram. I mean, Ingram's been a monster uh, in rebounding. He's not been as efficient offensively. He's he's hit some threes and all that stuff, but especially in ACC play, his shooting numbers aren't uh, where I remember them being when he was at Stanford because he's a little bit of a different player now, but he's what Hubert Davids wants. He wants that hybrid four-man that can play out on the perimeter and, and be more of a playmaker, and, and he certainly is that. You know, real quick, a follow-up to what you just mentioned about the defense. Last year, of course, the games were very low scoring, two of the most low scoring games in the history of this rivalry, 62 to 57, 63 to 57. That was something that Duke kind of wanted. They, they said, hey, if our defense keeps them in check, we're winning this ballgame. Are the roles reversed this year? Does UNC want this to be a low scoring game or do they do you expect this to be a track meet? I don't think it'll be a track meet. Um what I think it'll be, what what Carolina wants is is a low scoring game on Duke's part, a high scoring game on theirs. I mean, they average in the eighties, so they can they can score now. Uh, so they still want to get out and run, uh, but I think Duke can can be effective in taking away their transition. I mean, I do think it's one of these games for Duke where their offense has to help their defense. Duke's not a high turnover team; they average like nine turnovers a game, give or take. Uh, but they're not a, a turnover forcing team either. Carolina gets their extra possessions on the glass. Um, Duke really does not. Um, they're a good, they're a solid rebounding team, but not a great one. Carolina's a really good rebounding team. And uh, and those two guys, you know, and Jalen Washington can come in and grab some offensive rebounds. Uh, so can Jalen Withers. But really the main guys that you have to make sure that are are contained on every, every time a shot goes up for Carolina is, is Baycott and Ingram. Th- those are the two guys that can really, really hurt you on the offensive glass. And that, that's probably going to be the biggest key to the game is, uh, is rebounding. Um, and it's one of those things where people think it's, I don't know where this thing comes from about rebounding is all effort. No, it's not. It's <laughs> there's a lot of technique, a lot of positioning, um, it, it, that stuff's really important. 
And uh, and Duke's going to have to be on its game as far as as making sure they hit first when a shot goes up, uh, because that's where you know that's where the battle's going to start. Because I think it's going to be a game where where you know Duke's a better shooting team than than Carolina. But the question is, can they get open shots? And Duke's done a really good job of moving the ball and sharing it. They're not a they're not a a, a ball dominant team either. They they do they, I think they do as good a job as they've done in the last several years of of moving the ball. All right, everybody, stick with us. On the other side, we're about to take a break, but on the other side, I'm going to ask Jay Billis a little bit about the Duke Blue Devils this season. Stick around. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, so Jay, you were talking a little bit about Duke, and I want to move our conversation toward that side of the rivalry at this moment. Uh, you know, right now the Blue Devils are number seven in the polls. They're just a little below that in the you know computer efficiency kind of of metrics. The preseason expectations, though, were that this was a, clearly a top five team. Most people had them like number two or number three. Um, why do you think they've play, you know Do you think they played just a little bit below that? And and where do you think you know this team probably shakes out as the season moves on? Yeah, I mean, with four losses, they've probably played a little bit below it, but you know, they're they're still a very young team, and uh, and they've had some some injury issues throughout the course of the year. You know, Proctor went out, uh, if I remember right, in the first minute or two of the Georgia Tech game. That was sort of a a, a, a stinging blow to Duke in that game, uh, and I don't think early on in the season when they played against Arkansas on the road in a raucous environment when uh, Arkansas was playing better than they are now, 
and uh, and when they played Arizona, probably second game of the season, that the young guys were prepared for that. Yeah, you know, how could you be? So Jared McCain's a way better player now than he was then, and I think Caleb Foster is too. Um, there's still a, a a thing with with a few of the young guys where they can get taken advantage of in in screen roll situations. I think it happened against Georgia Tech where. You know, Damon Stoudemire ran the same play in the middle of the floor, and they got hung up the exact same way twice in a row for lob dunks. Um, but those are things that I think the guys have learned and adjusted to, and I think Duke's much better now than they were then. And, you know, maybe some of the games that you saw, like at Virginia Tech or, you know, the game against Clemson, those would have been games that maybe if they were played in, in November, early December, they might have lost those games. Um, but th- they're really capable. It's just, it, it just, this is one of those years and I can't remember one exactly like it, but it's one of those years where, you know, there are a whole bunch of good teams out there. There aren't a bunch of teams that have separated that have said, Hey man, we're, we're, we're knockout punch. Good. You just, I just don't feel that way. Some of it's feel like there, there were years where you go in the Duke Carolina game going, how are you going to stop this Carolina offense? I don't feel that way about them this year. Um, I, I, this year, you're like really impressed with their defensive performance, but you're not like you're not afraid of them. Like I don't think any team's afraid of them going in, and uh, and that that's un, an unusual feeling for the, the entire landscape. You're not even afraid of Purdue. Um, the only team I, I would be really concerned about as the season goes along, I think, is UConn. They're, they're the one team that I think could separate from the pack before this is said and done. Let's talk very quickly about the Duke defense, because I feel like the team was playing pretty good defense for a while, and lately they have really struggled. Have you noticed anything different going on, or is it just a function of, you know, guys have been injured, and as a result, the team's struggling to sort of find their rhythm again? Yeah, I mean, I think – Part of the thing when you watch Duke, or at least when I watch them, is is when they they apply pressure, and and when it feels like they're more containment oriented. Um, like there are certain teams, I think they can really get out and and pressure the ball and be really disruptive. They're not going to be like some of Coach K's old teams back in the day, where they're out in passing lanes and trying to force you further out on the floor. That's not the kind of team they have this year. That we're forcing a lot of turnovers. They're not a turnover forcing team. Um, they, they make it really difficult on you. They take away three point shooters. Uh, they try to make you take tough twos, and they do a really good job for the most part of protecting the paint. Um, and and I think because their offense has been so efficient. Um, they've not put themselves in positions where they're giving up runouts and they're, they're scrambling in transition. And that's, that's important. Uh, you know, you give up transition layups, all of a sudden your defensive field goal percentage goes way up and that's not what they're, they're dealing with. Um, they, they've been an efficient kind of bend, don't break, and they don't have the same rim protection they had when Derek Lively, the second was there. I mean, you, you could take some chances with him because he could erase the mistake. They don't have that kind of eraser this year. Um, and that's not a, what are you going to do? I mean, some years you have it, some years you don't this year, they don't, but the fact that they're Wait, still you, very good defensively, that we, that's good. We don't get a Derek Lively every year. What, what, I, shocking I, that <laughs> shocking that coaches can't do that every year. I mean, you'd think they'd go out in free agency and grab somebody. They're usually those guys available yeah, right. that, 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 that don't play early in the season. Then they're 11th pick in the draft. <laughs> I love it. All right. Hey, let's flip over to the offense for a moment. This is Duke's best three-point shooting team. They're 38.7%. Their best three-point shooting team, I looked it up, since 2014. 
Andre Dawkins, Rodney Hood, Rashid Suleiman all hit better than 41% from three that year. And Duke was a very, very good uh, three-point shooting team. This Duke team, though, is is sort of close to that. They're On offense, they move the ball around well. Like you said, they get a, a good number of assists. They they do not turn the ball over. But man, <laughs> this club struggles, really struggles to finish around the basket. They're one of the worst teams in all of college basketball at getting their shots blocked. And like you mentioned earlier, they're not very good at offensive rebounding. Is there something different they should be doing on offense? Should they be shooting more threes? They don't actually, they don't shoot a ton of threes. What, you know, not that they're bad on offense. They're very good on offense, but what would take them to the next level? Well, like you say, some of the finishing, um, but you know, you, you, you work with what you have. And I think that with, with Dukes, you know, their guards are small. Jeremy Roach is small. Jared McCain is small. Caleb Foster is small. So they're not going to drive in and just dunk it over big guys. Um, that, that's not their game. So they're going to shoot a few more floaters, things like that. But when they drive it, really the goal is to, to draw help and play out of it. And for the most part, they do that really well. I think when you, at least for me, one of the things that, that I look at as to whether Duke is performing at a high level offensively is how many shots do they get from the catch spot? And they get a lot of them. Uh, whether it was, you know, you look to that Virginia Tech game, you know, they they had so many possessions where the ball was on one side of the floor, it's reversed without a dribble, you know, passed again, and then they wind up getting a shot from the catch spot. You know, those catch and shoot, whether they're mid-range shots or, or threes, that that's where Duke's really effective. And when you use the dribble in order to draw help where you can get those shots, I think they're really good at that. They don't have many guys that are going to, you know, put it on the deck or shot fake sidestep and make a shot. Proctor's getting better at that. And I think he's gotten better and better as he's gotten healthier. Um, look, they, they can play with anybody. There's the, the good thing about the Duke team to me, maybe the best thing is there's not a team out there. They cannot beat um, the universe of teams that can beat them. If they're not, not doing everything right is a little bit bigger this year, but that's true of just about everybody. And, you know, they've performed at a high level on the road of late, especially. So I think they're really improving there. I think they're showing a really high maturity level and they have different guys doing it on different nights. So they're not solely having to rely on Filipowski. You know, he gets in foul trouble. They're still able to play through it. Um, you know, Roach has been injured. McCain steps forward like a McCain. He's a stud. He's going to be a great player and he's really good now. And you can see, like, his confidence level is really high. There's not a shot that that he's afraid of, and and he's not afraid of the moment, uh, as people like to say. Um, but but they're getting it from different guys, and that's that's good. And, you know, as they get more contributions off their bench, you know, Ryan Young's come in and done a nice job for him. He's a stabilizing force when he comes off the bench. I think Sean Stewart will play a little bit more as the season goes along, and he provides a level of athleticism. And you can see him in the Carolina game because he, he can go in there and – impact the game with athleticism, rebounding, running the floor, defending, and, and he doesn't need the ball in order to play well. So, uh, uh, you know, they've got some options. I, I, I really like their team. It's just not it's not a team like they had a couple years ago where you had a superstar like Bancaro say, okay, go, go get a shot. Uh, they don't have guys like that. So let's talk about arguably the two best players in the team, certainly the two players that get the most NBA attention. Kyle Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor. Flip came into the year as the ACC preseason player of the year. 
and he was on pretty much everybody's first team preseason All-American list. I I don't think he's in either of those spots right now. Tyrese Proctor came into the year. Everyone was saying he was going to be a you know mid to high lottery pick, and he was just outside the All ACC first team in the preseason. I I frankly don't think that he's at at those levels either. Do you feel like you know these two guys who had so many expectations on them in the preseason have they had years that maybe aren't living up to those expectations, or you know a- any insight into what you think maybe is going on with with those two players who we were maybe we're expecting a little more than what we've gotten so far from them? I think they've, they've both had really good years. Now, did we place too much on them? Like we, when, when we talk about expectations, we always throw it on the player and say, the player's not living up to expectations. We never look at ourselves and say, well, were our, our expectations realistic, fair, or right? Um, Filipowski's averaging at 17 and nine, and uh, he's having a terrific year. He's been fantastic. He's leading them in, in you know, rebounding, offensive rebounding, blocks, scoring um he's not shooting free throws at as high a level as as you'd like to like to see as a duke if you're a duke fan and proctor has been injured but he's getting better and better and uh and he's still going to be if he decided to come out he'd be a lottery um he's going to be up there because he's going to be coveted because he's he's still really young um so he's legit I, i don't have any concerns there to me it's the whole how the pieces fit together and i think john shire's done a really good job with this group uh, well, actually not the last, I'm going to ask you for your prediction in a moment, but second to last question then. Um, I, I, I think there's some great, you've talked about it a little bit already. I just think there's some great individual matchups in this game. Flip versus Baycott, Proctor versus RJ Davis, Mitchell and heck Mitchell and Ingram, maybe the, the biggest matchup in the game. And I actually think that like Cormac Ryan versus Jared McCain is, 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 is huge. a super interesting matchup. What do you think? What's the one matchup in this game that you go, whoever wins that one probably wins the contest? Uh, it's the R.J. Davis matchup. If if he's going for 28 and making shots and doing whatever he wants, Carolina playing at home is going to have a, a great vibe about him. And I think Davis tends to lift up everybody around him. Um when he's not having one of those nights, um, their scoring can be an issue. Scoring efficiently can be an issue for them. Um, you know, they're still going to score, but are they going to, you know, score 85 on you? Um, but, you know, Carolina playing at home is a different deal. It requires a mindset going in there. You know, you're not going in there to play. You're going in, you know, ready to play. You're going in there ready for a, a fist fight. And you don't mean that obviously literally, but but you have to have that mindset that it's going to be a different kind of effort that's required. And uh, you know, always when Duke and Carolina play, like we can sit here and say it's just another game and all that, but it's not. And everybody knows it. And players are measured by how they perform in this rivalry, and everybody knows it. And so managing your emotions going into it is really a, a difficult task and one that has to be has to be managed appropriately. All right, ESPN analyst. What's your prediction for the game? How's it going to turn out? This year, it seems like this year, if 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 you put your money, you know, and I'm not talking about where the line is, but just you know, straight up, if you put your money anywhere but the home team, you're taking a risk. You know, winning on the road this year, not the seams, it is harder. Uh, the numbers prove it, and uh, and I honestly can't figure out why. You know, so many teams are really capable. I mean, look at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's beaten both. Duke and North Carolina when they're they're highly ranked and and Georgia Tech's unranked 
And hell, they played they're against. They're not even 500. Georgia they don't Tech's even have a, they don't even, yeah, crazy. Not, they, they have a losing record. <laughs> and then you watch them play against those guys and going, how is this not happening more often? How are you not doing that all the time? It's really a bizarre thing. So really quickly before we get out of here, I just we just had to know the last question you had, the last answer you gave. Uh, it was so great that your dog was was cheering you on in the background. We just want to know which who who was that in the background that was that was barking yap. And we've had Cameron, Jason's dog, on here uh, providing content all the time. We need to know the name name of yours. That was my dog, uh, our our dog June, uh, rescue dog. That anytime another dog walks outside, uh, Armageddon is coming. And she's the <laughs> nicest dog until she sees a dog that is like sniffing around our yard without her permission. And uh, I, I hate to break it to her, but she doesn't own this house. I do. <laughs> she's just protected. She's protected the land. Protected her, no, protected no, her no. People. There's no protection <laughs> at all. Because if if anybody breaks in here, she's gonna be like licking licking the the murderer's hand as they <laughs> they come in to commit mayhem. <laughs> I love it. Jay, you, you just, you're describing my dog as well. He goes crazy until the person comes in the door and then he's like, oh, oh, you're here? I'm going to be nice now. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Hey, you were great. Thanks, man. We look forward to listening to you on Saturday. Have a, have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jay. Donald, it is always amazing to get Jay Billis on the podcast. I, I wish... I wish the audience could read our messages. We've been sending each other messages back and forth. Yeah. And we keep on going, ooh, that was a good point. Oh, wow. He, they, like the stuff he was talking about, uh, like I, I think the stuff he was talking about, about how Carolina chooses to guard Cal Filipowski and perhaps using Harrison Ingram for that. I'll, I'll be honest. I hadn't thought about that. That's br- I, I hope Hubert Davis wasn't listening. <laughs> I if think Hubert that Davis incredibly is listening- effective for Carolina to, to have Armando Baycott on Mark Mitchell um, there may be people out there listening who are like, yeah, of course, it's obvious. I hadn't thought about that necessarily. And Jay Billis is just, man, that dude, he knows his stuff. First off, if Hubert Davis is listening to this podcast, hi, hello. We'd like to thank you for wasting you know, 30 minutes of your time listening to us when you should be preparing for our team on Saturday. Uh, so hi to you. Uh, but uh, but really, you know, I think some of what he talked about was brilliant again talking if you if you listen to this show you know that we're very well versed we we don't like unc but we you know we respect them enough to have to watch them from time to time like you said we you know we watched the the georgia tech game the other night we've watched several games of unc this year a lot of uh, this is what the rivalry is about this is why it's so great in a way we have we have you know it's not like michigan ohio state where i don't care about ohio state i don't watch them i don't like them but for UNC, we follow them because we want to know what what we need to do to beat them. And he described it. If you have not watched UNC this year, he described their team so eloquently and just breaking down what makes them good, what you know, what what players and how these pieces of this puzzle full, come together, and also what it takes to beat them. Right, like that's the important thing. That's what we're here for, right? Like, yeah, we don't want to, you know, spend a whole podcast talking about how good they are. We want to know how we can beat them, and with the guys that we have in our team, what we can do to stop them uh, in their house. So, uh, yeah, it was it was incredible. It, Jay always provides great content when he's on here and, and great, you know, quality insight, uh, and we appreciate him for it. Yeah, Donald, the biggest thing you just said there was in their house, and I really think folks need to look. It's easy when you're watching on television to sort of forget where the, where the game is being played. But Jay mentioned this. I, I don't have it at my fingertip, but the stats, ranked teams, teams that are ranked playing on the road this year, 
are only winning something like a third of their games. I'm not talking about against other ranked teams. I'm talking about playing everyone. Yeah. So, so Jason, I, we talked about this while you were gone. It is 38%. This was as of like last week, 38% of ranked teams have won road games against unranked opponents. Not even talking about incredible against unranked opponents. So it's, it's super difficult to win on the road this year, as opposed to others. I think we're talking about in 2019, it was close to 70% victory for the ranked team. Now it's closer to 30%, which just means that more people are waiting to say, Hey, look, you know, whatever we're doing, let's take care of our business at home and is making it very, very difficult. And, and the, and again, it's the crowd, the crowd, you know, we, we, we like to joke and say that UNC is a wine and cheese crowd. And many times during the year they are, but that's never true during the U the Duke UNC game, no way. unless we are stomping them out. So, you know, let's stomp them out and let's, let's see that crowd, but that crowd's going to be ready to go. Uh, just like we would be when they come to camera. All right, folks, this would ordinarily be the portion of the podcast where Donald and I would get into the statistics and the advanced metrics and all that other jazz that we give you when we preview each opponent. But UNC is special. The Carolina game deserves not one, but two, two previews. So we're going to wrap up this one where you got to hear from Jay Billis. Come back to the DBR feed because in a matter of hours, you will hear the next episode, which will be me and Donald talking about our view of the Carolina game. And Jason, before we leave, just want to let people know that Friday, not just part two of this of this great UNC preview, but at Homefield Apparel, they were releasing a brand new collection for Duke stuff. And we oh, see yeah. some of them. It looks fantastic. So head to homefieldapparel.com uh, on Friday morning, I believe at 10 a.m. Eastern time. They're releasing the new collection for Duke basketball. It is terrific. They have some great stuff on there. For kids, for adults, uh, again, DBR podcast. That is the code you can use if it's your first order. You can save 15%. Otherwise, head to our link tree where we have a link that you can save money and help support the show in the process. So stay tuned to that. Also, Jason, as you know, we are getting our YouTube channel together. That is still coming. We, we've put, you know, we're still trying to upload all of our, you know, you know, bajillion episodes that we've done on this show that takes some time. <laughs> so by this weekend, we're hoping that this will be ready to go. So at the, in the meantime, DBR podcast on YouTube, you can subscribe now and just wait for those to come out over the weekend. Yeah. By the way, the, the home field stuff, and, and I'm not saying this like to pump them up. I'm saying this because it's really good. <laughs> uh, the, if you are a fan of the history of Duke basketball and, and the ACC, there's a t-shirt they have. That I saw that I was just like, I must, I must have this. I'm like, and like, unlike you, Donald, I'm not a big, like, I don't buy all the apparel that's out there, but I went, there's a, I'm just going to say there's a big four t-shirt from back in the good old days when Wake, NC State, UNC and Duke played like a special little mini tournament every mm-hmm. single year. Had nothing to do with the ACC. It was just because we're all here in the state of North Carolina. We're the big four. And there is a t-shirt that commemorates that. I was just like, that is amazing. I can't wait. I'm going to be sporting that thing. When I go to uh, when I go to Durham in, in about a week and a half or, or so to see a couple Duke games, and I guarantee you, people are going to be like, "Where did you get that?" I got it at Home Field Apparel, and I use the code DBR Podcast. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> great. That, it's great. Check out for that. Yeah. With that, we'll wrap up this episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup for Donald, for Jay Billis. I'm Jason Evans. Here's the Duke Band to play us out and take us home.
Um, oh, also I added sort of as my, I figure you go first because it's mostly about Carolina and then I'll do my questions. Mm -hmm. But I did, uh, I had one at the very end. Um, I wanted to ask him, uh, see, I think this is a game of some great individual matchups. Kyle Filipowski versus Armando Baycott, Tyrese Proctor versus RJ Davis, uh, heck, Mitchell versus Ingram, McCain versus Cormac Ryan. I mean, these are these are big, every single one of them. Um, I wanted to say to Jay, is there one matchup that you think each team needs to win? And like, whoever wins this matchup is probably going to win the game because I think that mm -hmm. could be. My bet is he would say like Flip Baycott probably, or perhaps Proctor versus RJ. RJ I guess you can yeah. probably you can probably come up with scenarios where. RJ outplays Proctor and Duke still wins. I'm not sure there's scenarios where if Flip or Baycott, either one of them wins it handily, that they that their team loses if, the game. If Baycott wins that handily, that means he's probably going off for like 20 and 15, and that's a problem for us. Yeah. So yeah. Um, especially again in a game where last year they scored 57 points in both games. If he's scoring 20 of them, like that, yeah, that means it's a high scoring game. Yeah. I guess you could probably argue that if if Tyrese Proctor outplays R.J. Barrett, I'm sorry, R.J. Davis. <laughs> if he plays uh, outplays R.J. Barrett, he he's going pro. That's that's good. Yeah, <laughs> he's going. He's going to be a good pro. <laughs> yeah. If he outplays R.J. Davis, I have a hard. I mean, man, what's the scenario where Carolina wins in that case? I guess they just dominate the boards or something. You know, like well, that's Nick, the thing, and, right? And like, Baycott destroy on the boards. That, that's the only scenario I could come up with. The where... fact he's scoring 20 points a game and. And is playing at like quite frankly, I'm going to say it on the pod, playing at an all American level. Oh, no um, question about it. Yeah, like that could be that you know he might be the head of the snake, right? Like whereas last year I think it was more Baycott was the head of the snake, yeah. and we neutralized them pretty well in both those games, and that was why they couldn't really do anything. This year they may not rely on Baycott as much. God, you remember how good Derek Lively was in that game uh -huh. last year? Oh my eight God. blocks. I was there. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh my God. That was fun. We're like, hey, do we think I don't think that Derek Lively is gonna have eight blocks again? We're like, you're right, he had like six. Duh. <laughs> <laughs>